to continue. Uh, last week we I started this. It's part one of and find out what pleases the Lord, and it's uh, taken from Ephesians chapter five, uh, verse ten, ten five ten is what, what I call it. And in that passage, it says, "And find out what pleases the Lord." You know, I, I think that God has always made it clear to His people what it takes to please Him. Um, Romans, Paul says in Romans chapter one verse twenty, he says this. He says, "For since the the creation of the worlds, the, for the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen, being understood from His workmanship." So that, that men are without excuse. We have no excuses for being bad. <laughs> we just don't. Because we know. And w- one of the things, that, well, I guess one of the examples I used last week was King David. And in, in second, cha- uh, second Samuel chapter 11 verse 27, the, the words that stand out to me there says, but the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. And if you remember, that was the time when he uh, sinned with Bathsheba. And so it was a, a very difficult time in his life. And because of what he had done, that, that sin followed him pretty much the rest of his life. I mean, uh, one man died, Uriah died, um, then a baby died. Um, his son uh, chased him all over the place trying to kill him all the time. Absalom did that. And so David's, David's life um, was really difficult from that point on when he had sinned against the Lord and what he had done, what displeased the Lord. And so, you know, we need to keep reminding ourselves that each morning when we get up, we don't plan on sinning against God. That's not what we want to do. But I will tell you this, and we talked about this last week a little bit, was this, is that Satan wants to steal your joy and it pleases him to do that. And he is clearly our enemy. And we need to be careful. We need to be constantly watching because he's going to be setting those sin traps for us all the time because he wants to steal our joy. So in talking last week, I, I, I talked to you a little bit about um, if we want to know what pleases the Lord, maybe we got to check out what displeases him. And so... In Proverbs, and I, I didn't, um, I don't have it up on the screen right yet uh, because she's going to pick up at part two, but I just wanted to read this for you. In Proverbs chapter six, and this is verses 16 through 19, this is what it says. It says, there are six things the Lord hates, seven that are detestable to him. I use the word Abomination. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among the brothers. Those were the the seven things that we talked about um, that the Lord hates. They are an abomination to him. And so we got through three of them. God hates haughty, arrogant eyes or a proud look. And we talked about in, in, in Psalm chapter 10, verse 4, it says, 
In his pride, the wicked man does not seek him. In his thoughts, there is no room for God. There is no room for God. And again, we talked about Nebuchadnezzar. Remember King Nebuchadnezzar, who his arrogance brought him down to where he was out in the field eating grass and growing feathers because of his arrogance? And then finally, you know, he says, as he comes back to his senses, he says, and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. God is able to humble us. And so the first thing that I wanted to share is that God, he, he just hates haughty, arrogant eyes or a proud look. The second thing that we talked about was a lying tongue. God hates a lying tongue. And um, I also mentioned that when, when we speak the truth, we are never more like Jesus. And when we lie, we are never more like the father of lies. Who do you want to be like? Who do you want to be like? And then um, also, as we get down here to uh, the third one that we talked about last week, and we're going to move on from there, is the hands that shed innocent blood. And if you will remember, I told you at the very beginning of that, that God is always for life. He is always for life. He loves life. He loves that. But hate brings about difficulties. Hate is like acid. It can damage the vessel which it is being stored in, and it can also destroy the object that it's thrown on. And so we need to be really careful what we do. And remember that God is always for life. And so we pick back up with a heart that devises wicked plans. That's the part two, and we're going to follow with the the screen here right now. But heart that devises wicked plans. In 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, we read this. The Lord does not look at the, the things people look at. It says, but here, I'm going to read off the screen here because I want to get it right. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance for or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does, the, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord, he always looks at the heart. That's what God does. He looks at the heart. And that's why Solomon tells us in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, he says, above all else, guard your hearts. Guard your hearts. Um, for everything you do flows from it. So we need to guard our hearts. We need to guard our minds. That's what we need to do. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, he said this, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder and adultery and sexual immorality, thefts and, and, and false testimony and slander. These are what defile a person. These are what defile a person. We need to keep remembering that. You know, the human body has about five vital organs that are essential for survival. Five vital organs. They are the brain, the heart, kidneys, liver, and lungs. You know, from a medical and biological perspective, all of these organs are equally important. We can't live without them. But from a spiritual perspective, the heart is the most important organ because it's 
the heart that determines our actions, not the brain, as some people say. It's the heart. It's the deep-seatedness of us. It's who we are. The brain only executes whatever the heart desires. In fact, the heart is the source of everything the writer of Proverbs mentions in this passage of Scripture here. When it talks about pride and when it talks about lying, when it talks about hatred, Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 states this. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. And I looks like we lost the... Okay, that's all right. Hey, you know what? If you have your Bibles there, get your Bibles out and do it the old-fashioned way, okay? That's all right. But, you know, also in Matthew chapter 5, verse 19, it says, For out of the heart comes evil thoughts. And Jesus is the one that said this. Out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder and adultery and sexual morality and theft and falsehood and slander. He talks about that. And then he says down here, Jesus reminds us of the important things in life. He says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, he says, A good man brings good out of the good things that are stored up in his heart. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. What is your heart full of? Is it full of nasty? Is it full of love? Is it full of mercy? Is it full of grace? What is your heart full of? Question for you. How does a worm get inside of an apple? (laughs) Perhaps maybe you think that the worm burrows in from the outside. Well, it's not so. Scientists have discovered that the worm comes from the inside out. You know, and how does he get there? You know, I always wondered that as a kid. How in the world did that, that, that worm get down in that apple and I just bit half of it off? And it's like, what's up with that? Well, it's simple. An insect will lay its egg on the apple blossom. Sometime later, the, the worm hatches in the heart of the apple and it eats its way out. You know, there's a very good lesson to be learned from that. Think about it. Sin, like the worm, begins in the heart And it works out through a person's thoughts, words, and actions. Hmm. So what should we do? We should guard our hearts. Psalm 73, 26 says this, My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and and my portion forever. We need to guard our hearts. Guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, as Paul says in Philippians. We, we, the peace of God will, that will, transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So if you want to guard your heart, where do you need to be? You need to be in Christ Jesus. That's right. So what should our prayer be? And you'll notice that this week you have your little study guide thing here that you can take home and put it in your Bible, and it will tell you day six, day five, whatever, day four, what, what should your prayer be? And, and I want you to follow along. I want you to do that this, this, um, in the next week or so. I'd really like for you to do that. But So what should our prayer be in this? I believe it's this. God, 
Cleanse my heart from any hurtful way. Remove every ugly thought or scheme I have been pondering. Keep my heart pure and fill it with your word. Fill it with your word. Most of all, put a hedge of protection around my heart. Guard your heart in me. For you see, if we have given our lives over to Jesus Christ, if we have been immersed in the water of baptism, if we've given our lives over to Jesus Christ, then our heart is no longer our own, is it? Our heart belongs to Him. Don't betray it. Our heart belongs to Him. So, guard your heart in me, Lord. Then the fifth thing that he says here, going back to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19, he says this. He says, the other thing that, this is the, the fifth thing that God hates, and that is feet that run rapidly to evil. Feet that just, I mean, they just want to run rapidly to evil. Isaiah 59, 7 says this. It says, their feet rush into sin. You know, they are swift to shed innocent blood. They pursue evil schemes. Acts of violence mark their ways. Wow. Folks, I want to tell you something. Old habits die hard. We're all a testimony to that. Old habits die hard. They are very hard to break. And the only way that you can break them is by putting something in their place. For you see, we are a new creation. We are a new creation, and it's supposed to be that the old has gone and the new has come. But old habits are hard to break. But that should not be an excuse. We are a new creation The old has gone. The new has come. So feet that are quick to rush into evil can be viewed as this enthusiastic and complete involvement in things that dishonor God. And you know what? I can look out at every single one of you today and without even hesitation, I can say, you don't want to dishonor God. I believe that. But still, somehow, some ways, we do. And we need to be careful. This happens when we know what to do and we choose not to do it. I'm guilty. I hate to say that, but I'm guilty. And I think that the average Christian will ignore this verse as irrelevant because usually evil deeds are actions we label as wicked and morally wrong. But the writer of Proverbs is also referring to common wrongdoings that bring pain to all concern. And it could be such activities, but it's not limited to these things, such as gossip, rebellion, character assassination. We're good at that. Judging. By me saying character assassination and saying judging, am I judging that person for character assassination? 
<laughs> Am I guilty of doing that? You know, these and, and much more create wounds that can sometimes last a lifetime. They really can. They can last a lifetime. And I've used this joke a couple times here, and you guys are going to be able to tell the punchline when I get to it. But I'm going to do it anyway because it fits. Four preachers met. And always it always seems to come down to preachers, you know. I don't know why that is, but it always comes down to preachers. Four preachers met for a friendly gathering. During the conversation, one preacher said, Our people come to us, and they pour out their hearts. They confess their sins and, and, and needs. So why don't we do the same today, guys? So confession is good for the soul. So it took some convincing, but in due time, they, they all came to an agreement. So the first guy, the first preacher confessed that he liked to go to movies and he would sneak away from his church and he would go to these movies, which I don't think that's too bad. But the second one confessed that he likes smoking cigars. Gross. And the third minister confessed that he liked playing cards, especially poker. When it came to this fourth minister, and it's always that last guy, it's always the last one, he wouldn't confess. And the others began pressing him, saying, listen, we all confessed ours. It's your turn. And so what is your secret vice? And he finally answered, you want to say it? It's gossiping, and I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. I just can't wait to tell somebody. <laughs> you know, Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, verses 11 through 13, he says this. He says, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Don't let it reign in your body that, that, that it will completely destroy you. Do not obey its evil desires. He goes on to say, do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. Paul says in another place, there are instruments for noble character. Instruments. We are to be instruments for noble character. Instruments of righteousness. That's who we are. That's who we should be. Remember, we are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. Doesn't that excite you? It should. You don't look too excited, though. Let me tell you something. What Jerry said today is 100% correct. I don't believe that we are long for this life. You know, I do believe that there is a possibility that Jesus could come back in our lifetime. It's, it's showing itself through this world. Things that we would never have thought about this country are coming true. So these kind of things should excite you. They better. They absolutely better. And so we need to be really careful 
with our eyes, with our mouths, with our ears, because they are the gateway to our hearts. So what should our prayer be? Well, I have this. God, stop me in my stop me dead in my tracks. Just stop me dead in my tracks. Old habits are hard to break, but help me break them anyway. And as Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Every single one of us, it's not just Bob, it's not just Jerry, as ministers of the gospel, it's not just Chet as an elder or Jerry as an elder, it is every single one of us in this room have been given a calling. We have received a calling from the Lord. Be worthy of your calling. What does that look like? You need to figure that out. What does it look like to be worthy of our calling? We each need to figure that out. No more excuses. We cannot have any excuses. Help me walk in a manner worthy of the calling which I have been called to. No more excuses. The sixth thing that God hates is a false witness that pours out lies. That's what he tells us there. A false witness in verse 19 there. A false witness that pours out lies. You know, did you know that everything on the internet is true because fact checkers say it is? Did you know that? I didn't know that. Rare are the truth tellers. And especially in this society, rare are the truth tellers. You know, many of those who, they, they deliberately misrepresent the facts. They've done that over the past few years and it, and, and here's the bad part about it is they're no longer hiding it. It's in plain view. We have the opportunity to defend another's character or to set the record straight in a group that is bad-mouthing a certain individual. You know, maybe the temptation is to chime in and to agree, or maybe it's to remain silent and allow the assassination to continue. The Lord hates such actions. We don't want to be a part of that. Most people would understand that the writer of Proverbs says, we must not give false testimony against one another. And, and, and that interpretation isn't wrong. That's not wrong. But I think it's much more than just testifying against another person because a court of law is not the only place where false testimony is given. You find it in the church. The place that you would think that it shouldn't be. It happens in the form of rumors. Oh, what a word, rumors, rumors. Did you know that rumor has it? Come here, come here. Did you know that rumor has it? Have you ever played that game where you whisper into someone's ear something and it goes all the way around the circle and it comes back to you again and usually... Very seldom is it the same thing that you told that first person. It's usually some weird way out story. Well, that's what a rumor is like. That's exactly what a rumor is like. 
Social media websites are breeding grounds for rumors today. You know, rumors may or may not contain elements of truth, but they will always infect and contaminate the church. The abomination against lying in verse 17 is a, is a general warning, but here in verse 19, God gets specific as he warns specifically against lying about another person. We need to not do that. Exodus chapter 20, verse 16 says that you shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. That's one of the Ten Commandments. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. It it is a terrible thing to lie about someone. And, And remember, we can lie without directly giving out wrong information. What's the intent of your heart? We can lie by subtly creating false impressions or by unjustly raising questions and creating un, unfair doubts about someone. And we call those, in this day and age, we call those false narratives. We can lie by just telling part of the story. Oh, I forgot about that part. God hates lying. And sooner or later, those that are doing it are going to face the consequences. Trust me. They're going to face the consequences. So what should our prayer be? Well, here's what I have. God, free me from whatever fears I have so that my witness will be true based on accurate facts and remind me of what Paul says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. He says, Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self and its practices. Here it is, that that old creation. And have put on the new self, the new creation, which is being renewed in knowledge and the image of its creator. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. And the seventh thing that God hates, right there in verse 19, it says this. It's a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. Mm. Juicy, absolute juicy information is so difficult to contain. This is especially true if there is an element of verbal malignancy in the talk. It's like, it's almost like it's oozing out of your pores. And, and, and you've got to tell somebody. I, I, I gotta tell somebody. I gotta tell somebody how, how easy it is to spread strife among brothers and sisters. How damaging it is when those words leave your lip. How hard it is to be a peacemaker when they leave your lips. God places a high premium on peace. His first priority is that we be at peace with Him through faith repentance, baptism. Paul tells us in in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he says, Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's, It's with God through Jesus. You know, the Bible also teaches that you and I are to do everything within our powers to be personally at peace with other people. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, he says, if it is possible, if it is possible, 
Now, we know that there are some neighbors that that is really hard to do. But if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. That's what he tells us. Live at peace with everyone. Wow. Romans 12, 18. You know, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9, Jesus said this. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Wow. Not only is love an identifying mark of a child of God, but being a peacemaker is also an identifying mark of a child of God. And if a person goes about causing strife among others, whether by gossiping or or by other means, that person... I want to tell you something. That person is in a dangerous position because God hates when a person sows discord among brothers and sisters in Christ. Absolutely. Solomon doesn't sugarcoat anything here. He calls stirring up dissension an abomination in God's eyes. And if you hadn't noticed, this is really important. If you hadn't noticed... It is also the third time that he mentioned something that has to do with the tongue. You know this thing right here? It's so little. But it can do such great things. And yet at the same time, it can do such bad things. It's the third time he's talked about that in this passage here. About the tongue. This person is the total sum of everything the author of Proverbs mentions here. He, out of the fruit of his corrupted heart, causes conflict among brothers. You know, we have, we have such people in the church also. And, and I'm not saying in this church. I'm just using the churches in general. I'm not saying necessarily in this church. They, dis- they, they stir up dissension in the body of Christ for their own selfish gain. And I've been in churches that I've seen that happen. And it's scary. And it, what it does is it breaks the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And it causes dissension. And it causes people to question. You know, there was a, a lion that used to prowl about in a field. And there were these four oxen that were in the field that used to dwell there. And many times, this lion tried to attack those those oxen. But whenever they could see him or hear him coming, what they would do is they would turn their tails to one another so that they could get him. So that whichever direction that lion would come, he would be met by horns. He would be met by horns. At last, however, what this lion did was, was ingenious. He managed to turn them against each other. And so they fell because they were quarreling among themselves. And each of them went off into the pasture alone and mad into their separate corner of the field. They were just angry about things because, you know, the the, the, the dissension and the, the lack of unity. Then the lion attacked each one of them one by one. And soon he made an end to all four of them. You get the picture? We're the oxen. Satan is the lion. 
So what should our prayer be? I think it's this. God, silence me from any discord among my brothers and sisters in Christ. Help me to do what Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 19. He says this, Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. To lift one another up, to build one another up. Let us do whatever it does there. And finally, let's take heart to what Peter says in in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Here's what he says. He says, finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. And don't let the lion eat you. Don't let the lion eat you. And you know how you're going to keep that from happening? You're going to have each other's backs. That's what you're going to do. So I want to conclude this two-week sermon series here with this. Our goal should be to find out what pleases the Lord. That's what our goal should be. How we live day in and day out affects our relationship with Almighty God. You know, it's a stunning truth, and the Bible teaches it plainly. God so cares about us as a father. He he loves us deeply that, that he finds happiness. Listen to this. He finds happiness in our obedience and sadness in our disobedience. That's because he is such a loving father and he wants us to be obedient to him. And I believe that pleasing God directly relates to our pursuit of holiness. When we say no to sin and the abomination that sin brings in our lives and we say yes to righteousness, What we do is we bring pleasure to the Father. That's what we do. Every decision that you make, every choice that you have in front of you to pursue sin or to pursue righteousness is a chance to bring happiness to God Himself. It is a choice that we choose to make. When the Apostle Paul looked to motivate his readers to obedience. He focused on the dynamic reality of pleasing God. That's what he did. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he says, so whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to please him. He says in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 8 and 10, he says this, he says, for you were once in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of the light. And he says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10, he says, and find out, find out what pleases the Lord. And then from the new message, from the, the message Bible, I quoted this, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1 says this. It says, okay, that, that's a different translation. So I'm going to just read what the message Bible says. He says, one final word, friends. We ask you, he says, we ask you, uh, we urge you more. Uh, he says, we ask you, urge is more like it, that you keep on doing what we told you to do to please God. 
not in a dogged religious plod. I like that. A dogged religious plod, but in a living spirited dance. Are you getting that picture? I like that picture that that the the message Bible paints for us. Continue trying to please God, not in a dogged religious plod, but in a, 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 a living spirited dance. God wants you to be happy in your Christian walk, not plodding along with religious heavy feet, but in joy like a spirited dance. That's what he wants from us. It's the difference between having to and getting to. There's a difference because it is the motivation of the heart where if I have to do it, oh, I don't want to do that. But if I get to do that, oh, I can't wait to do that. That's going to be fun. Praise the Lord. We cannot change. We cannot change our outward behavior unless we change our hearts. And that is something only Christ is capable of doing. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, he says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new, the new is here. But Christ cannot change our hearts unless we fully surrender to his love and his power. On my desk, there is a WWJD picture. And I meant to bring it in here and I forgot to do that. I wanted to show you, but that's all right. Remember, we've always thought of WWJD as what would Jesus do? I want you to think about the WWJD in a different light today. It's walk with Jesus daily. That's where we're going to find that peace. Walking with Jesus daily. When we do that, we learn to replace our ungodly behavior with new godly behavior. We can do that. It's all about pleasing God, not pleasing ourselves. And if you do these things with the right motives, I can guarantee you this one thing you will find out what pleases the Lord. Guaranteed. You will find out. I would like for you to take these that are in your Bible and use that for your daily... You, I mean, I'm not telling you to interrupt what you're doing, but in addition to, use this. Um, you could go back through it every single day if you wanted to. Day one could be Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, you could all the way through the Saturday there. But it says, you know, it says, take time to read Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 14, remembering that we don't live in the past anymore. We live in the present, and we anticipate with great joy what God has prepared for his children in the future. And we strive on a daily basis to do what pleases the Lord. Amen.